the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey guys, welcome to Oral Sessions with me, Renee Paquette. This is our best of the week episode. What we do is we compile all the interviews from Tuesday and Thursday, smash them into one, and you are off to the freaking races. Uh, So this week I had two killer interviews. One with my dude, Ron Funches. Uh, You guys know I'm a stand-up comedian. I feel like he is on literally everything these days, Um, from voicing King Shark, on Harley Quinn to hosting Chalk 420 on Discovery Plus. Last blockbuster, this dude is doing it all. Also hosting his own podcast. Also just recently dropped his own shoe with Puma and Foot Locker for Autism Awareness and Acceptance Month. And then... I had on the incredible Taylor Rook. She is broadcaster extraordinaire, skyrocketing her way to the tippy top of the broadcasting world. I feel like everyone wants to work with her. She's one of those people that it seems like nobody could have a bad thing to say about. She busts her ass. She stays true to herself. And we just have amazing conversations about what it's like to be a woman in the sports media world. Hell of a conversation. Hell of a gal. Let's get into it. Here's the best of the week with Ron Funches and Taylor Rooks. Hello, Renee. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to have you on the show. We're really mixing things up a bit. It's been like, you know, wrestlers, combat fighters, Now we just get to hang out and have like a laugh with Ron. Yeah, I'm the opposite. I'm a passive person. Not much combat over here. The opposite. (laughs) Chit chat. Okay, fine. But I feel like that being said, I feel like you would probably make a hell of a manager in wrestling. I agree with you. I I could take a bump if necessary. I'm surprisingly strong. (laughs) And also I'm quick with it and I could get heat for sure. And I could help a lot of wrestlers. Yes, that's you're right. Have you ever like, like legit thought about that or been like, just bring me in for like a quick run. Let me do something somewhere. Yeah, of course. I went to wrestling school for three months. I went to Santino Brothers Academy in Los Angeles. Those only things I wanted to do in my life were either stand up or wrestling. That's amazing. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. So you are trained. You can take a bump. You can take a hit. So you could be a great mouthpiece. Who would you want to work with? Oh, that's a good question. Who would you manage? Someone who, because I just think of people who I love, but they could already talk. (laughs) Sammy Zayn doesn't need me. Kevin always don't need me. But who would need, you know who I would be good with? Scorpio Sky. I think I would be great with him because he's such a talent. He's strong. He's good looking. What a handsome man. Exactly. And I could just go up there and say all these things (laughs) for him. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I like that. I I was not expecting a Scorpio Sky, but I'm into that very much so. Yeah. And I like Scorpio Sky. He convinced my husband that it's okay to wear denim jackets. So... pushing for forever. John's always in his leather. I'm like, dude, let's like mix it up and throw a little denim in there. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. And then Scorpio Sky was like, yeah, you can do it. Yeah. No, he looks like he's built for denim for sure. I agree. Denim on denim. By the way, we were watching some of your stand up over the weekend and you have an open invitation to just come to our house and hang out 
anytime. John wants to just hang out and watch TV with you. Okay. Now that's fun. That seems fun. If it's something you're into, he he just wanted to extend the invitation that you are more than welcome to just come hang out. I'll cook for you. We'll hang out. Sure, please. I, we know we're very similar, but you know, both at the top of our industries, both trailblazer mavericks, both lovers of uh, beautiful Canadian women. Yes, you guys are. You guys know how to pick a good Canadian woman. We bring a lot to the table. What can I say? <laughs> yes, I learned about all dress chips and Nanimo bars and the other things I can't pronounce. <laughs> Nanimo bars. <laughs> <laughs> They're amazing. Yeah. Canadian snacks. I mean, as much as we're known for uh, our niceness, our our love of hockey, it's really our snacks. That's what makes us next level. It's, it's the snacking. I just want to go back to Vancouver so I can get Ernest ice cream. That's my I love that Vancouver's ice cream. Vancouver's heavenly. Um, OK, before we get into your amazing shoe, it was just it was just your son's birthday. He just turned 18. What did you guys do for his birthday? Uh, he had a request. He wanted Roscoe's chicken and waffles, which is, you know, he just knows how to live. Uh, he learned early. And then we went and saw the Mortal Kombat movie, rented out a theater. So it was just me, my wife and my son. And we watched Mortal Kombat because he wanted to watch an R-rated movie. And then we just came home and opened gifts. You know, he has my son, you know, people don't know my son has autism and he can be a little bit of a strict rule follower. So he like he waited till he was 13 to watch PG-13 movies and, you know, 17 R-rated movies. So then he turned 18 and he, his birthday list had like his normal stuff like Xbox games, uh, Dodgers jersey and then adult toys. <laughs> and I was like, we're going to probably skip one of these. Oh my God. Yeah. You're like, that's something you got to do on your own time. I can't help you out with that one. (laughs) (laughs) I actually remember this is an inappropriate story, but I was probably about his age and I went into his Spencer's and I thought that I was buying a candle kit. It was like a bunch of candles and like some lotions. And I was like, oh, this will be nice. My mom found it and it was, I didn't open it. I didn't realize what it was. It was a full vibrator. But I couldn't see the top or the bottom of it. My mom's like, where the hell did you get this? Like, she left it in the middle of my bedroom, like just standing on the floor. And I was like, where did this come from? I was horrified that my mom thought that I was just like stashing away vibrators. So it happens to the best of us. Um, Okay, so your shoe, you designed a shoe. Uh, How did you come up with the design and start working with Puma to put this all out? Well, I mean, I actually got um, introduced to them through a mutual friends of ours, through Sarah, through Mikazi. He and um, and uh, Sasha had put out a shoe before for Sasha's brother, I believe, who is on the spectrum. And um, they were guess we're just looking for more ambassadors for that program to to expand that program. And they knew, you know, much might talk about my comedy and a post, but always talk about my son and the fact that he was diagnosed with autism when he was two and our time together. And so uh, basically he reached out to me and I designed a shoe based off of. Basically, my son always would wear these uh, noise canceling headphones. They're bright green and loud. And uh, so we just put some green accents on there and put little headphones on the back. And I think it's a beautiful shoe. I'm very proud. 
and it makes my son happy, makes him feel the puff out his chest that he has his own shoe. And it makes me feel good because I always wanted a shoe as a comedian. I just feel like we should have shoes. We stand up. It's in the name. I mean, come on. If anyone needs a shoe deal, it's more comedians. You're right. Let's get those like orthopedic deals happening. Exactly. You will know people will wear Whitney Cummins sneakers, things like Maria Bamford's. I would I would wear them just for the name. Like without question, if they came out with shoes, I'd be buying them. I mean, I saw that Sarah Silverman, you had sent her a pair and she was plugging them. If Sarah Silverman had a shoe, you better believe I would have a pair. Absolutely. It just makes sense. So where can other people get your shoe? Footlocker.com uh, on the 28th. Limited qualities are uh, cool. I keep saying that limited quantities, unlimited quality. <laughs> <laughs> High quality, limited quantity. Get in on it. Support some autism awareness and acceptance. Keep that going. We just had Surat on the show last week. So he was talking about his shoe. And yeah, we're all about just helping to spread the word and get these shoes out there and let let people know. Let's keep the conversation going. Yeah, no, I appreciate him very much for introducing me to this program and enabling able to, you know, to donate some money to the Flutie Foundation, which I've always been a big fan of. And so, uh, yeah, I appreciate you talking about it. Thank you. Of course. Uh, OK, so it was your it was your son's birthday. You just turned 18. So I did the math and I was like, wow, you you were 19. Just turned 20. How did you juggle everything to keep your career on track, to keep focused, to, to having a brand new baby at home? What was that like for you during that time, being so young? It's very stressful and difficult. It's probably why I got bald spot on the back of my head, but the rest of my hair is full and thick. <laughs> so I feel it's just a lot of stress, but very motivating to me. You know, I think before I had my son, I was very uh, afloat. I didn't really have like uh high standards for myself or high esteem for myself. It took my son. It took me having someone else to care for. And then it took him being diagnosed with autism to really feel like, oh, I need to find a career and I need to be confident and proud of what I think I should be become. And I was like, I always knew I wanted to be a comedian, but I was scared to do it. So it just kind of pushed a lot of that fear because I was like, oh, I have to do it and I have to take it seriously. So I wasn't like, hanging around drinking. I wasn't going to karaoke after with the other comedians. I was like going to clubs at night and then getting up and getting my son together in the morning. And then, you know, my wife and I eventually divorced and then, you know, I ended up having full custody of him at my house. And so just juggling all of that. And, and it's not just me, you know, I had a wonderful support from just a great group of women, my mom, my sister, my my wife now, nannies that I've had in the past. So I've had a lot of support, um, but, it's you know, it's definitely kept me focused. And it's been you know, not easy. <laughs> I mean, you think of trying to get a comedy career up and running with no other obstacles or any other obligation. So the fact that you were able to do that and be a full time dad and to get your career on track, was there times that you were like, I sh maybe I should think of a different career or. Maybe I should be looking at a different path or something like that. Like, what, what were some of the jobs that you were doing while you were out doing stand up as well? So I was basically doing a lot of part time jobs when I was doing that. I, you know, before I got into comedy, I worked at a bank call center, but very quickly after that, lost that job and um, just kind of bounced around, worked in telemarketing, worked at uh, the Lady Liberty tax sign dancer in front of one of those ladies. How was that job? It was terrible. And I got a staph infection from the costume. I almost 
almost died. Shut up. A lot. I did. I almost died. I almost, almost ceased to exist. Where did this happen? Oh, my face. Stop. Yeah, no, my face was all gray and blown up and gross. I used to have not good skin. And now it was like the ultimate Botox. Now look at me. Look at me. <laughs> look at me go. Look at That's the skin. wild. <laughs> Did you just like notice? Because you're in like full costume. You're dressed as Lady Liberty, correct? Yeah. And then one day you're just like, oh, something's happening on my face. Yeah. One day I'm getting flu-like symptoms, getting a little sick. And then I noticed like a little pimple on my face. And I was like, you know, me, I just popped it. And then it was like, oh, it didn't just pop. It's oozing a liquid. That's gross. That doesn't seem right. Uh, but then I just was like, I'll just lay down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But my ex-wife was like, I think you need to go to the hospital. So I very much thank her for because I don't think if I if she hadn't forced me, I wouldn't have gone. And they were like, oh, if you didn't come today, you would have died. So you're lucky you oh came in. Oh, my God. Yeah, I ended up in ICU for like five days. I mean, that stuff's no joke. I mean, when John was going through when he had MRSA, that is so scary. I mean, especially when it's on your face, because it's like you're that much closer to getting to your heart, like in like your brain. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My face was all gray for like a month after. It was real weird. Okay. Chopped 420. This is a brilliant concept for a show. That must have been the most fun show to work on, was it? <laughs> yes, it really was. How fucked up do you guys get when you're shooting? Pretty fucked up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, it's a great time for people who don't know what it is. The traditional chop show, most people should know. Appetizer, entree, dessert, mystery ingredients. And now we got a cannabis and fun times with me. And it's just a blast. It's the first time I had to sign a contract that said that you must smoke weed on camera is usually always the opposite for me. And it was just so fun to eat high quality food that got me pretty baked and then judge these people and meet some real fun chefs, some nice people who I still keep in touch with now. That's the, the coolest part to me of like, I just never been in that world. I don't know any people. I don't know chefs. I don't know anyone who knows restaurants or things like that. But now I do. And they're real cool people. It's really fun. And as like more like cannabis restaurants and stuff are popping up. I mean, I feel like you should be on like that food critic list now. Like we have Ron Funches coming in. Yes. Everybody prepare your best meal. Like people run to the back and let the chef know that you're there. Do you, so when you're doing the show, because like you said, there are the three rounds, do the chefs have to be cognizant of how much weed they're putting in every meal so that you're not sleeping by the entree? They have a limit that they're supposed to stick by so that they don't overdose the judges and some people mess up and we still, you know, show that or air that and, but we don't <laughs> necessarily eat that one. <laughs> Put it to the I mean, side. I would. Save it for, that's for at the yeah. hotel room. Yes. That's instead of ordering room service, I'm going to box that up and take it back to my room with me. Yeah, because you got to remember they're eating like, you know, four contestants, you know, breaking down each round. They're eating like 10, 12 doses at, you know, by the end of the day, they're getting pretty faded. So it's fun. <laughs> 
What is the best thing that you got to eat while doing the show? Oh, that duck salad that Chef Swoop made. I really loved it. It was this duck that he put Blue Dream, I believe, in it. And it was, uh, I mean, that was the thing. Because I always like brown, brownies and cakes. Yeah. All the things I have. But to have some duck, I think that I had a nice, like, oyster taco that one of the chefs made with, with, with cheese ball crumbs over it. Oh, my <laughs> That's like, that's honestly, when I was watching the show, I'm like, you have literally the best job on TV right now. I used to think that it was Kathy Lee and Hoda just getting smashed on white wine in the afternoon, but chopped 420 when it's like bougie cooking. And I'm not a big, I'm not a big weed smoker or eater. And I wish that I was, how do I enjoy it more? Well, see, this is what I think is the show is helpful with. It's not just about your heavy smoker, your heavy edible user. It's about introducing it to people who maybe are just interested in it, but there's might be a little bit scared because everybody usually has that story of that person that gave them a brownie that knocked them on their ass and made them think they were dead for two days, Yeah, you know? And, and sometimes those people did that on purpose, you know? And I don't like that. This is all about introducing people that you can be adequately dosed. Sometimes they just use CBD just for muscle relax and things like that. They use a low amount of THC. They ask you about you. Are you a high anxiety person? Person. Are you low? Do you want a sativa? Do you want an indica? It's all about custom fit in the mill for you, just like you would if you had guests that you were having a meal at your home. If someone's vegetarian, if someone doesn't eat, has certain dietary restrictions, you're going to consider that. And people need to do that with the level of, uh, of THC that they're using in these edibles. And this show has kind of helped mainstreaming and normalizing the usage of it. I mean, basically what you just said, it's like, I don't dabble in weed that much and I'm certainly not opposed to it. And I have smoked weed plenty of times in the past and eaten it as well. But with wine or like drinking, I'm like, okay, three, four drinks. I kind of know where I'm at, where weed can be unpredictable for me. How do you find out what works for you? Uh, It's a lot about, you know, experimentation and a lot of it is about your nose, you know, finding one, a smell that reacts to you. Like some people like the smell of a sativa, but like with my wife, if she smells it, it bothers her. It smells too strong, you know, and that's alpha in your body. She's got that good BC bud too. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just your body letting you know what you would like and you wouldn't like, you know. When I'm not pregnant. I'm going to dabble into this and just see, see what my line is. Renee, I tell you what, I I will, if we get a second season, you, you got that baby popped out. I will be like, we, we got a celebrity judge we need to get. Yes. You got a cookbook. You got the reps. So people will know it's for real. I'll have to get my tolerance to a certain level so I don't make a fool of myself and of you. I'm pretty sure we would love it if you did. <laughs> <laughs> So what makes a good interview? You are crushing the interview game from somebody who like I've like played an interviewer on TV for a very long time uh, with WWE. So my background is I worked in WWE um, as a broadcast. I don't air quote the broadcaster. I was a broadcaster. I was an interviewer. We would be handed questions and not actually getting to do the proper interviews like we get to do today. So now that I'm doing this podcast, I finally get to resubmerge myself into that. But you've been crushing the interview game. What makes an interview so great? Well, the one thing I'd say about interviews are, you know, interviews are a major two-way street, right? So 
yes, your interview is only going to be as good as the questions you ask, but it's also only going to be as good as how much that other person trusts you. You know, like somebody has to first off, agree to sit down with you and agree that they want to talk to you about their life, maybe reveal things that they haven't, you know, it takes two people to create a really great interview. I think the most important parts of an interview are like the first 10 to 20 minutes before the camera even starts rolling, you know, cause you just want to establish that, that rapport, you know, maybe get some jokes and like, just make everybody comfortable in that setting. But I think as simple as it is, the key to a good interview is listening. You know, so often, you know, people will, you know, younger students will send me like their reels of interview and want me to watch them. And the thing that really happens is you go into that interview with a list of questions that you have, and you're so focused on that list of questions that you're not even listening to what their answer is. And so when you are only trying to rattle off your questions, you're losing the opportunity for follow-ups. You probably missed something really cool or insightful that they said, because the interview at the end of the day, it's about them. It's not about you. It's not about asking all of those questions. And so much, I see people just forgetting to listen because all they want to do is talk and get to the next thing. So I think listening and being present um, is probably the best thing that you can do in an interview. And how hard is it to relay that to people? Because I feel like I've been preaching that for years as well. Like, just listen. All you have to do is listen and have a conversation and yeah, be receptive to what the person is saying to you. But like, that is not a, it's not an easy skill to just like teach someone to do. I feel like it gets lost in translation a lot. Yeah, it definitely gets lost in translation. And granted, you know, I feel like when I very first started, I was absolutely doing that. You know, I was like coming in with my questions. I'm like, oh, question three is so good. I got to get to that right when I can, you know, but the interviews got so much stronger once I just kind of like, I started going in with just things I wanted to touch on as opposed to explicit questions that I wanted to, to ask. But I mean, when you're talking to like your mom or your dad or your friends, you're having a great conversation without knowing what you want to ask. And the reason that conversation is good is because they're telling you stuff and you are bouncing back on what they told you. I truly believe that all interviews, you should operate like you're talking to somebody that you know. I just think it's the best way to do it and the best way to actually listen and, you know, be there for the conversation. I think prep can be really key as well so that you know the person you know, kind of what you want to talk about, but you're not relying on getting from point A to point B to C, like just to have that foundation laid down so that you can just have a natural conversation with somebody that you don't know prior to sitting down with them. Yeah, totally. And good prep is also what's going to give you a good follow-up. You know, if I'm interviewing somebody and in their answer, they mention a guy that maybe there's a history that they don't like each other, right? Or a history that they once played together, whatever. Your prep will tell you that you can follow up on their answer. The worst thing you can do is come into an interview unprepared. Like I feel like, and I'm sure you know this too, so much of interviewing is like taking in a bunch of information and then dumping it. Like when I'm going to interview somebody, I become an expert on them for like two weeks. <laughs> like full and stalker then, mode. I'm like, I know all yeah. your shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like an expert on them for two weeks. Yeah. I do the interview. I'm done. But then I got to make room to be an expert on the next person. Yeah. In two weeks. So it's a lot of just like turning information in your head. <laughs> it really is just like crash shedding. Yeah. It's like flipping through someone's like Instagram and Twitter and yeah. what they're talking about and their likes and their interests. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I know like way too much about you, but hopefully yeah, it will. Like I know everything like your social security number, but I can tell you like your birthday. I can tell your mom's maiden name, you know, 
Uh, it's so funny. I love that. Early on in your career, do you feel like people tried to or like projected onto you to be that newsy broadcaster journalist type? Was that sort of the oh, box people sure. wanted to put you in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even at, you know, when I was in college at the University of Illinois, loved my experience, loved my professors, loved all my teachers and all that. But everybody has this very like traditional idea of what journalism is. And every single person there told me that what I needed to do was start in a small local market, work my way up, then you become national. And I was like, fuck that. I'm not <laughs> living in Idaho. No. You know? so, so I was like, I'm going to do this the way that I want to do it. And that's by having my like personality out there, you know, just because one person did something one way does not mean that's how you have to do it. And I just think as human beings, we tend to lean on the majority and say, well, the majority did it like this, but the majority isn't every single person, you know, and it's okay to find a, a different path. And that wasn't the path for me. And yeah, everybody was like, you know, you act like this, you dress like this, you do your hair like this. I don't do any of that now <laughs> and it all worked out. So yeah, there's definitely an idea that people have of journalists, especially women yes. um, that I don't think you really have to, you know, live by. Yeah. You know, I think of like early on in my career, I started out in Toronto and I got into the wrestling space really early, but I remember, I, so TSN is basically the ESPN of Canada and one of the executives there was like, nobody will ever take you seriously if you're covering wrestling. And I was like, well, I don't really, I'm not in this to be taken seriously. So to speak. Yeah. Like, and also who cares about everyone? Yeah. Also, you know, <laughs> blow it out your yeah. ass, sir. Like here. Yeah. <laughs> Leave me alone. But it's, I mean, it's funny because I mean, my career has been able to grow so much because of leaning into wrestling and having that be the thing that I'm synonymous with. So it's just funny that I feel like people really early on, I think want to take someone with promise under their wing, but then they also want to shape them into who they think that they should be. And that can be very misleading. And I honestly do believe that people who are 100% fine with being themselves or people who are 100% fine with going against the grain scare others who aren't that way. Yes. Because you're like, well, why are they so confident? You know, like, why are they okay doing this? And I just think that kind of makes them try to temper your expectations because their expectations are, are so tempered, but, you know, doing the safe thing or the sure thing has a limit to it. I think like the sure thing has a ceiling. The things that don't have a ceiling are just the things that you are moved by. Um, so I'm, I'm a big believer in like doing the thing that fulfills you. You've done a really great job. It seems of being able to balance or like, I guess that's not even the right word, but people want to put you in a box of this beautiful woman that's in sports and people really want to make that your thing where you, it seems have just brushed that off. Like if that's what you think about me, cool. You can tell, you know, say I'm pretty, whatever, but you go in and do such a kick-ass job at what you do. How do you, I guess, like stay on that path of not letting people put you in just that one box? I mean, even just like, simple things. I was talking to um, one of our producers on the show, Brittany, last night, we we're talking about like women in sports putting together their outfit for the day and wondering how that's going to affect how, like how people receive them. And you just have to think about the minutia of so many different little things. Yeah. Which totally sucks. But I think what I always say to myself is like, 
every single thing and every single person on the planet is more than one thing. So human beings that think of like one adjective about you and make that the only adjective about you are incredibly closed-minded, you know, like in what world is somebody only pretty, you know, or only cute or whatever the adjective is that you're using. I recognize that I am full of adjectives, you know, just like you're full of adjectives, like every human being is. So I know that about myself and try not to let anybody's view, you know, change that. And I'm fine with somebody saying that they think, I don't know, they like my outfit or that they think I'm cute, whatever superficial thing it is. I'm fine with the compliment. I'm just not fine with only being complimented. You can't just focus on what I look like. You have to focus on the things that I'm saying too. And the questions that I'm asking as well. And I know sometimes men feel like because they're being, you know, nice, it's respectful, it's harmless, but the more you focus on that, you're actually in a lot of ways taking my agency away because you're taking away my voice, you know, which is the thing that, that I'm here to do. You're focusing on, on things I have no control of. Who cares if you think I'm pretty? Like, that's my mom and my dad. That's not me. That is not a thing that I worked for. You know what I mean? So it's even really not as big of a compliment as some people might think, you know? the best thing you can talk about is how much you loved my interview, you know, and how much you enjoyed the work and how, Oh, that was a good questions. And I could tell you worked hard on this. And like, that is actual stuff that is, you know, substantive and matters to me. Um, but it kind of is what it is. Everybody tries to put women in a box, but I would say you're, you're not, you know, the box it puts you in, you're the space you take up. So I just always try to take up a hell of a lot of space. <laughs> Good. <laughs> hell yeah. You know, I would find, um, at a certain, I, I went through a very, like, I'm like, I'm going to wear pantsuits, like really cool pantsuits. I was <laughs> oh, like, I'm sure they thought of something to say about the pantsuits. Oh my yeah. God. It's like, <laughs> guys, like this is, this is a proper cool outfit. Everyone relaxed, but like the way that certain uh, men would be like, if I wore like a tight dress with you look great today, that like they would literally their, their, their like relationship with me that day would be different. See, that's insane. But no, I absolutely understand. Like it's, it's crazy. I mean, I did an interview. I'm not exaggerating. I wore like a turtleneck sweater and red pants. I mean, the only skin you could see was my hands and my face. All the YouTube comments you're like, Oh, she's trying to look sexy or like this outfit. I'm like in a turtleneck and pants. Like that's the other thing that I feel like men don't realize is we cannot control the curves of our body. Yes. So like I might be wearing a turtleneck and pants and you say that on me, it looks sexy, but somebody who's maybe a little smaller, you think nothing of it you can't like weaponize my body against me and say like, I can't wear this because of how it looks on my butt. It's like your butt's your butt. You know what I mean? Like, can I not look cute? Cause of my butt, <laughs> just like, yeah, let my butt live. Yeah, what that the makes hell? literally no sense. So it's just, it's crazy the way men see some things and like that they don't recognize that that's what they're doing. I was doing um, a kickoff panel for one of uh, for WWE pay per view, 
I just felt like I couldn't win at one point where it's like, Hey, I'm either not sexy enough or it's too sexy. I don't know what I'm doing, but I was wearing this dress. And to be fair, it definitely gave like more cleavage than I was really aware that I don't have a whole lot happening right here. So I was like, Oh, I mean, whatever. I didn't think much about it, but we like did our first on cam. And all of a sudden one of the producers comes running out with a men's jacket and goes, you have to wear this the show. And I, I did the rest no. of the broadcast in a men's jacket. Yeah. Were you so mad? I was embarrassed. Yeah. I was embarrassed because I was like, what happened? Like, did a nipple pop out? Like what happened? And like to see like my Twitter blow up of everyone's like, why is she, why are you wearing this jacket? Like yeah, what's this happened? like big ass jacket? I oh that like God. just popped in my head that I forgot that that happened, but I remember that being like the producer coming out and he didn't even want to tell me. He was horrified to tell me because he was like, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry, but you have to put on this jacket." And yeah, what a wait! Doozy. I have like a super weird question, not even weird, just like random question. And I guess maybe you don't know because the world's been closed; you haven't been out that much. But have you found men be more interested in you because you're pregnant? That is a hard question to answer because I've not been out that much. Yeah. I did have one man follow me through a CVS and be like, yo, you want to go hang out? I'm like, no, I'm super pregnant. (laughs) A lot of my friends who've been pregnant has been like, it's very weird. Like some men are super into like, it's something about the fertility and the, you know what I mean? It's something about it. So I didn't know if you had, you had experienced that as well, because I would even say from like my husband, he was like, it's especially like really early on. He's just like, Oh, and what's happening to your body over here? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, but I mean, yeah. get it, get it while you can. Cause I don't know what's going to happen in a few months. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for hanging out with me again. Hopefully you guys liked the best of episode. Gave you guys a little something, some a little mishmash from both uh, of my previous interviews from this week. Hopefully you liked it. And Hey, if you want to go back, both of those interviews are up on iTunes, on Spotify, our iHeartRadio, wherever you guys listen to podcasts, you guys can go and get the full length there. And we're also going to have all the videos up on YouTube between myself and the volume. You can find my YouTube. Uh, just search my name, Renee Paquette, likewise for the volume. And you can like, subscribe, subscribe, get on that subscribe list, please. And thank you. We've been growing quite steadily. So I've been really, really happy with the way things are going. I love reading your guys' comments and being able to just like communicate with you guys and that YouTube space is really, really cool for me. So I see all of the, I see all those comments that you guys are leaving on there and I super, super appreciate it. It's a really great space. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Renee Paquette. Follow the volume at the volume sports on Twitter and Instagram. Check out some of their other podcasts and enjoy it. Get your ear holes filled with some good sports content. We got you guys covered. All right, guys, see you next week. This has been oral sessions. The best of the best of.